Well, we give you one of these. We give you one of these worship guides every Sunday morning, and it gives you announcements, um, and it gives you a number of things about who we are as a church, uh, but it also gives you, I give you an outline to follow, blanks to fill out on an outline. My goal in that is to help you follow along with the sermon every Sunday, to give you some maybe extra verses at the bottom to where you might want to explore further. But a lot of people would say about an outline that you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this because sometimes we just like to fill in blanks. Some of us don't. Some of us, like, I'm I'm here after and there's a lot left over. It's a great discouragement. Just kidding. Or there's a lot of drawings. I mean, kids are in here right now. You can draw on it. It's okay. But the danger a little bit in our lives as we hope to live out the word in our lives as we just become fill-in-the-blank Christians, that we take this on a Sunday morning or a Monday when you're having your quiet time and check off the blanks, and we file it in our James folder at home, and we hope next week we learn a new truth. Listen, I love learning new truths. You pay me to do that. I love to study God's word every week. There's something new that I learn or a connection that I make. You know, as a kid, one of, the, one of the glorious things of being a kid is that when you get a new toy, you're fascinated by it, right? You love it, and then a week later, parents, what happens? They want a different toy. And I think sometimes when we come to the Word, rightly so, and we want to gain knowledge and, wis- knowledge and understanding of the Word, we love the new nuggets that we receive, but the living out is more difficult, isn't it? And maybe, in a way... As a metaphor, we file what we learn away. We check the box. That's a danger to be a fill-in-the-blank Christian. You see, because faith needs to be exercised, surely you need to learn the Word. Surely you need to know God through His Spirit-empowered Word. But this guy in the book of James, James the brother of Jesus, he's a metrics guy. He's not the guy that says, hey, learn the word, come back on Sunday, learn the word through the week, and you're good. He's a metrics guy. Any metrics guys in here? Any measurable guys in here? He says, let's put some skin on it. And that's what James is going to do really from here to the rest of the summer. And I think if I meet James in heaven, I don't think there will be a whole lot of pleasantries. I think we will get down to business really quick. I imagine James, when I meet him in heaven, to be, I don't know how much personality we have in heaven and what that looks like, but I I, I picture him as a no-nonsense guy, an adrenaline junkie that's going to lay out truth and say, what does your life look like? Is there proof that you're a Christian? In heaven there will be, so that, that breaks down a little bit. But faith, as we've said, the theme of James is faith that works, a faith that is not only head knowledge, but a faith that works. And today, in today's text, as we turn to James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses, primarily verses 19 through 27, James has some questions and answers some questions for us. In hard times, in times of trial, in times of tribulation, who do you listen to? When life and sorrows happen, when conflict happens, who do you listen to? Who do you trust? What can you trust? And then what action do you take from it? So turn with me to James, and we'll read it there 
in 19 through 27. Actually, I'm going to start to give us a little bit of context. I'm going to start in verse 18. Important verse to understand the connection in verse 19. So let's read together. Actually, I'll read verses 18 through 27, and then we'll unpack. There's a lot of great application in the book of James, and there is a lot of deep and hard application to our lives today. We know, before I begin, we know that salvation comes by faith, not by works. We know the grace of the gospel saves us, so know that. But know also that that's the root, but there is fruit that ought to happen in our lives, and so that's where James is going. So if you know Christ and you're here this morning, James is talking about fruit. Let me read it. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth, that's being born again, by the word of truth, that's the gospel, that's what Christ has done for us, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19, knowing this, what I just said, verse 18, knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick, slow, slow. For the anger of the man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive, put off, put on, receive the meekness, welcome the meekness of the what? Implanted word, which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forget what, what, and he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, to care for orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the word, the world. This text is about the word of God. This text is about listening to the word. This text is about living the word out and doing the word. This is the hard work. James is going to get up in our business, all right? And he's going to keep getting up in our business for the rest of the book. So put on your seatbelt, listen to what James has to say. Here's your first idea that he presents. Real faith, real faith, a faith that goes through trial and tribulation and tempting, a real faith listens to and welcomes the word. It listens to and welcomes the word. Look at verse 19. We're going to parse this out a little bit. Verse 19 says this, knowing this, knowing what? Verse 18, knowing that God has brought us forth. That means new birth, new birth that we have in Christ, regeneration for you theology nerds. The idea that God has, by his spirit, spoken into our lives that we can have new birth. That's not something that we come up with. That's something that he does. He has brought us forth by the what? Word of truth. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. He's already done that. And then you come down to verse 21. Look at the sandwich. He says, receive or welcome with meekness what? The implanted word. So the word needs to grow deeper. That's the sandwich. So when you look at verse 19, knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear who? Quick to hear what? Quick to hear the word of God. Do you see it? I use this verse 
in relationships, interpersonal relationship. Okay, right now, my kid just said this. I need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and that's all fine and good. And we're going to get to the bridling of the tongue in this text, in verse 26, as well as chapter 3. But the context is telling us that what we need to do in tribulation and trial and tempting is not about interpersonal relationships. It's about listening to God through His Word. That's the context. So we need to be quick to hear from God. Hurry up and listen, if you want to say it that way. Hurry up and listen to God. And you know what that makes us? That makes us slow to speak. When we listen to God, that makes us slow to speak. Two ears, one mouth. You ever said that to your kid? Or your spouse, maybe? People have said that to me. Slow to anger. That's a progression. For the anger of God, anger of man do not, does not produce the righteousness of God. Kids, you ever thrown a temper tantrum? I know you haven't. None of you have. When you throw a temper tantrum, does it work? Or does it make it worse? I think your parents are probably going to say it makes it worse. So the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I know adults, we don't struggle with that, so we'll just put it on the children this morning. That's a joke, kids. And then he says this, therefore, put away. You know the put off and put on language of Scripture? Put off this, put on this. All filthiness. The word filthiness there, look at it. It's the word for dirty, filthy garments. And it's a similar phrase for rampant wickedness. A few years ago when Harvey hit, the church I was at helped rescue people. There were like 30 families in the church that had lost their homes. And down by the bayou, after a few days, homes were about 10 feet under. And the waste management plants and the water got all mixed up. And we went down into that stuff, that water. And I'm not a germaphobe at all. My wife has trouble give, getting me to use hand sanitizer when we go out to lunch or essential oils or stuff like that. <clears throat> but I came home for about 20 days in a row, and I would take my dirty garments and I would throw them in the trash. I went to Walmart and I got Hanes, the white Hanes shirt and just as scrubby shorts as I could get, and I threw them away because they were filthy. This is the idea, filthiness, rampant wickedness, but do what? Put off that, but put on what? Receive or welcome. So as a believer in Christ, you've received the, received the word of truth already. You've received Christ, the word, but now it says do something deeper and further with it. Receive it, welcome the implanted word. The idea, when I think of implanted, you think of these, this root system and this plant that grows deep and grows tall. Receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Here's the thing. Before I knew Christ, I would read the Bible every once in a while because my mom made me. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And there's plenty of things, even as a believer in the Bible, I need to learn and I need people to help me understand. <clears throat> But even some of the simplest concepts in the Word, they were just foreign to me. And then when I came to faith, it's like a light bulb turned on. And I would begin to read in passages. It would begin to cut at my soul and push me to obey in areas I didn't want to obey. That's what the Bible says, right? That the, the Word of God 
empowered by the Spirit, by the way, is a double-edged sword, and it cuts. And for the first time in my life, I read the Bible, and it came alive. Not only it came alive in understanding, but it was like a mirror, which we'll get to. And the more I read it, and the more I studied it and looked at it, the more it began to shape my life. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen to the word first. And he's saying, let it grow deep. 1 Peter, similar passage, similar situation. 1 Peter chapter 1, I think we have this passage in the back. 1 Peter 1, 23 through about 2, 2. Here's the situation, very similar to what's going on with James's audience. This church beginning to be persecuted, Paul, Peter calls them to holiness. And he says this in verse 23 of chapter 1, since you have been born again, same language, James 1, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living and abiding word of God, through the living and abiding word of God. Same idea. All flesh is like grass. You know this passage from the Old Testament. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now what? Look at it. Same as James. Put away, put off. Put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Put off. These are weeds. These are things that grow up. And like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk of the word that by it you might grow into salvation. Do you see the connection? Do you see the parallel? Same idea. I don't know if it's because I'm a golfer. Sorry, it's been a few weeks. I think I'm free, okay, to share. I don't know if it's because of that, but when I sit on my back porch, my covered back porch, and I look out at my grass, and I look out at the deer that are sometimes there, I could be sitting and having a conversation. I could be trying to study or work. And if I see a weed in my grass, I got to get up and round up that thing. I got to get rid of it. I can't handle it. I like a nice yard. I want to see St. Augustine. And you know what? If I go get the stuff to kill the weed that does grow up and it will grow up, that's just a Band-Aid. It's just a Band-Aid. If I want my St. Augustine grass that I prize so much, if I want that to grow and have less weeds over time, what do I need to do? I need to get a sprinkler system, which I did. I need to saturate that ground with water. I need to fertilize it. I need to let that grass grow thick so that what? So that weeds can't as easily spring up. This is what the Word of God does in our lives. Thought I would reply this. It's Father's Day. Thought I would try to apply it to us. The greatest gift, fathers, that you can give your children, the greatest gift that you can give your children and your family especially when the times get tough and there's temptation and trial in your life, is to be a man of the word. To come on Sunday morning and take notes, not just so your kids can see it. And Monday through Saturday, immerse yourself in the word. Listen to God. Depend on God. Be changed by God. That's what I want. I screw up. I mess up. 
just like your parents. But that's what I want. That's the greatest gift that you can give your kids and your family to be a man of God who lets the word change you through the power of the empowered spirit in your life. It's the greatest gift you can give your family and your kids. And as I think also about the public square that we're in right now, and I think about the implanted word and the importance of listening first, and the importance of being slow to speak and slow to anger, some of that translate is an obvious translation to our day. But as I think about the challenges that we face, even with racial reconciliation and injustice in the world, you know what I need to do as a believer before I post and before I say something? You know what I need to do? I need to get into God's word and go, what does your word say about injustice or justice? Because God is a God of justice. What does your word say about it? Also, what does your word say about right authority in a broken world? but right authority. I need to know that. I need to understand that. I need to know what the Bible says about truth. And I also need to know what the Bible calls me to do with grace and mercy and compassion. Those are concentric circles. What we tend to do, what I tend to do, is take one of those and run with it. But as a Christian, you and I live in a secular culture, period. Everybody from 40 up, I need you to hear that. I'm over, I'm 45. I need to hear that. I need to remember that you, that we live in a secular culture. We do not live in a Judeo-Christian nation anymore. You cannot say that. D.A. Carson, if you want to read a book, Telling the Truth. A lot of great authors that help write that. Al Mohler has a new book about secularism. You can read it. But we do not live in a Christian nation anymore. And so guess what that translates to? I'm going to get up. We're going to talk about it just a little bit. You know what that translates into? That means likely in elections which you have one vote in, there's going to be something wrong on either side because you live in a secular culture. The voice that you have as a Christian looks different. And so it's hard to vote. You have one vote. That's hard to do. When you look at one candidate or the other, And one on a moral sphere you couldn't vote for, another in a character sphere you might not vote for either, or you couldn't. So what do we do? Where's our voice? We live in a secular culture, and we need to think deeply and listen to God and his word. I don't have ultimate answers here. God does. But I know those things work together, not opposed to one another. So if you find yourself on a bandwagon, which I've found myself on bandwagons, out there in the public square, be careful. If you jump on a bandwagon because you don't live in a Judeo-Christian world anymore, you are likely to be out of step with one of those circles that I just mentioned, particularly to the situation. Does that make sense? Should things change in our broken world? Absolutely. But as Christians, we need to be thoughtful about listening to the word first and then acting, which we'll get to. Nobody's talking, nobody's moving. Okay, here's my challenge for you. I'm gonna try to do this this week. You can ask my wife if I succeed. I'm gonna take my phone and I'm gonna delete my Facebook account, not account, I'm gonna delete it, my app, this week. 
I'm going to delete it. My Instagram, Twitter, I don't post a lot. I just watch everybody. <laughs> I get really encouraged. I get really frustrated and excited. I'm going to do it. All right, that's my challenge for me. I would offer you that challenge. Some of you have already done it. You've already told me, man, it was glorious. It was a glorious week. I'm just going to stop. And I'm going to get in God's word. I'm going to take those four things that I just mentioned to you, and I'm happy to give you some verses for these. Justice, righteousness, and government, and what that role should be. Um, mercy, compassion, empathy. What was the other one? Truth. And I'm going to study those this week. That's what I'm going to do. Instead of listening to the noise, that's what I'm going to do. Invite you to do that with me. Love to hear how that went for you if you tried it. Well, is listening to the word and internalizing it, listening to it and receiving it internally, is that enough for James? What do you think? Not so much. Look at verse 22. He says this, but be doers of the word. He's the metrics guy. He's a guy that's going to get up in your business. It's not good enough. The sermon notes put in, not good enough. Be a doer. Do the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Easy for us to do, C3. But look at the example he gives. It's intentionally ridiculous. I say intentionally so you don't think I think the Bible is ridiculous. But look at it. He intentionally gives a ridiculous illustration. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face. And the word man there is for male. Sometimes you see the word man and it's neutral. Um, and it could be for a man or a woman. But this one is clear. It's male. A man who intently looks at his natural face in the mirror. You look at the mirror every day. All of us look in the mirror every day. Some of us more than others. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he's like. Do you forget the blemishes that you think you have on your face or, the, or your good side that you like to take the picture of? You don't. You know those things because you look into the mirror. This is ridiculous. Why is James saying this? Well, look, here's his point. For he looks at self, goes away, and forgets. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law. Listen, God's word is a mirror, and it's looking back at you. Let me ask you a question. I might get in trouble a little bit here. Men. In your wallet or on your person, do you have any mirrors? You got any mirrors on you, men? You check it out. Check the flow. Anybody? Nobody's admitting that one. The wives are doing this right here. Yep. On your person right now. Not many men probably do that. Ladies, got any compacts on you? Any compact mirrors in your purse right now? About to get in trouble? I'm not, I promise. You do. Because men usually glance. Ladies gaze. But here's the illustration. That's the other part of this that I look at and go, James knows men don't usually gaze, they glance. So he's giving a doubly ridiculous illustration. Why is he doing that? Because here's the thing. You ought to gaze. You got, ought to gaze at the mirror that's the word of God regularly, frequently, intentionally, over and over again. When you're glazing at the word, you're looking at the word because it, it's a mirror back to you to go, hey, you've got some kale in your teeth. You got quinoa in your mouth. Ladies, you know you want your husbands to tell you at the dinner table or when you're out and about that there's something not right. 
That's the reason you carry your compact, to make sure it's right. And what James is saying is you need to look at the word, the mirror of the word, regularly, constantly, so you know what's out of place. The psalmist says what? Search me, O God, and know me. Know if there's any wrong in me. That's what the word does for us. It's like a mirror. And we can look back and go, that needs to change, and that needs to change, and that needs to change. Ladies were looking really mad at me for a second, and then I gave them the punchline, and we're, we're okay. I rolled it by my wife before I gave it. You guys are tough. So the mirror. Listen, what James, I think, is kind of saying um, is this. If it's kind of like auditing a class. Anybody ever audited a class? Some of you guys, on a, if you've been on a degree plan, you're, there's no auditing. Look, I'm looking for credit. The great thing about auditing a class is you just get to show up and you get to listen. You just get to hear. But you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. You pay the money. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to take a test. You don't have to pass the course. There's no grades. That's kind of like what it's like about hearing the word. But if you take the class, there's tests. I'm going to see how you do. You don't get any credit if you just audit. And I wonder sometimes in our life if we're just auditing. We're just auditing this Christian life. Or maybe we've just set, set our lives on cruise control. The great thing about cruise control, you can just set it and you just keep cruising at a certain pace. But you can't accelerate. You can't change it. People pass you. The Bible says run the race. Run the race with endurance to receive the prize. So are you acting on what you see in God's mirror and his word? What areas do you need correction and fixing and attention? What ways do you need to be a doer of the word, not just a forgetful hearer? This applies to all of us. I'm the one that's got to get up on Sunday morning and preach this and live this every week. Let not many of you be teachers, he's going to say the next passage. So real faith lives out the word is the point. And maybe you say at the end of that, thanks, James, really appreciate it. But you've not told me what to do. You've told me I need to do something. You've told me I need the implanted word to run deep in my soul. But what do I do? Glad you asked. Verse 27. Look at it. Verse 27. Religion. And religion is the external practice of your faith. That's what religion is. It's the only time it's mentioned in the scriptures is here. It's the external practice of your faith. And he says, if you don't bridle your tongue, it's worthless. Verse 27, though, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. And surely it's more than this. But here's the phrase, to visit orphans and widows. Do you know the word visit? It's used one other time in the book of Matthew. And the idea is not just to show up and check the box. The idea is to care for the sick in Matthew 25. To show care, to show concern, to get down in the weeds of a person's life. So real faith, your third idea, is real faith loves. It loves sacrificially. So it listens, it lives out, and it loves. Listen, the thing about an orphan and a widow is that they can't really give you much back in return for your care of them. An orphan can't do that, and most widows can't do that. That's why it's sacrificial. That you are taking this next step of action. And you're caring for the least of these. 
the people that need help. You could extrapolate even further out from orphan and widow. This is love with skin on it. It's not arbitrary. Listen, you know what Jesus has done for you? He's taken an orphan. You, without Christ, are an orphan spiritually. You're an orphan. You don't have a family. You don't have a home. There's nothing lovely about you in God's eyes. And yet, he brings you to faith. And you're no longer an orphan. You're a child of his. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel and what the gospel has done in your life and what the gospel has done in my life. If you don't know that message, I'd love to share it with you. That on no merit of your own, Christ has died on a cross for your sin that you might have life. And you go from being an orphan to a child of God and you get to sit at his table. Bring up a chair. We did communion just a minute ago. If you know Christ, you get to come to his table. That's glorious. And that's not only a picture of the gospel, the gospel calls us to move toward the least of these sacrificially. Now we live in a world that has all kinds of tangible needs. Pick one. The poor. You want to talk about the poor? You want to talk about the homeless? David Droll right here. Hope Beyond Bridges. Go serve. He could get up and talk about it. Kids meals. There are kids in our community all over that don't have food In the name of Jesus, you can serve them. The orphan, the widow, did you know that there are over 500,000 kids in foster care in the United States that need a home? Did you know worldwide, if you put all the orphans on the planet into a country all by themselves, it would represent the third largest country on the planet. That's how many orphans there are, fatherless there are on this planet. The tangible needs are all around us, and sometimes I go, well, what do I do? It's everywhere. The brokenness of the world is everywhere. If you think about the widow, one of the most tangible, if you're a community group leader, listen to this. If you're a community group leader, one of the easiest things that you can do in this community, there are assisted living places all around here, everywhere. And the widow is there. The person who doesn't have any family, the person whose family doesn't come to see them, and if you bring, you, if you come and you bring your family, those widows and those people will love you and care for you. If you kids, if you draw them a picture, you wouldn't believe how many hugs you're going to get that you might not even want. If you as a community group leader walk into an assisted living, living community and you say, hey, I've got a group of people from my church that want to play bingo with some of your seniors on bingo night. I can promise you they will grab you and they will ask you how many nights you want to come. And it's a mission piece for you and your whole family, which I know some of you care deeply about. There are tangible needs all over us, around us, to love sacrificially in the way Christ has loved us. We put skin on the gospel when we move toward these things, not only that, but it makes an unbelieving world look at us and go, huh, why do they sacrificially love? Because he first loved us. So if you want to make a difference in the world that you live in, real faith loves sacrificially. This is what James is getting at. So real faith listens, it lives out, and it loves. 
1943, close with this. 1943, Duke Ellington wrote a song. It don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. Anybody heard that song? I know nobody's born before then in this room, maybe. Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga. I can't believe I just said Lady Gaga in a sermon. They redid it recently. You ain't got a thing unless you ain't got that, if you ain't got that swing. Catchy little song. In the 80s, which some of you weren't even born yet, but in the 80s, uh, handy wrap, you know, the cling wrap that you use in your kitchen on Tupperware, the, the see-through stuff, the cling wrap, they did a spoof on this song as a commercial. And I don't know why, the way my brain works, I always think of these commercials. And they said it this way, the handy wrap, the cling that you put on your food and you stick it in the fridge, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that cling. And the lady is taking the cling wrap and putting it over the piece of Tupperware and she's got it upside down like a blizzard and doing this number. Listen, I think what James is trying to say to us in this passage is that real faith sticks. It clings. It clings. When we cling to the word and we let the word implant into our deep, dark places of our lives, and we live that out. It roots out the weeds and the filthiness and the stain of the world. And it's sticky. It clings in our life. Real faith sticks. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is so clear but so hard to live out. We confess that we can't do this every day. We can try, but unless your spirit moves in our lives, we tend to want to sit on the bench. We tend not to want to move toward transformation and are often content with information. But Lord, I pray through your spirit that you would wake us up if we need to be wakened up to being doers of the word. That the, We pray that the word would run deep in our hearts, that it might come out as a fountain in both the way that we speak and we talk and we listen, and we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite uh, Blake Elms and Gatlin Elms to come up. And they're going to share a little bit about their adoption story. thought it was a good opportunity for them to do that. You guys come on up um, and share what God has done in their life um, through trial and tribulation um, to see um, real faith play out in their life. Thanks, brother. Okay, guys, I do not like to talk in front of people, so I'm going to try to not, like, sweat too much or throw up on stage or anything like that. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to give you all a little bit of background and kind of how we ended up adopting. Um, in 2011, Gatlin and I got married in September, and then in September of 2012, our son Wiley was born. <laughs> Not very much time there, guys. Wasn't the plan. Um, and then just a few months later, uh, when, Gal when Wiley was about three months old, Gatlin was diagnosed with cancer. And um, we found out later that he had a volleyball-sized tumor on his kidney. Um, and it was a very aggressive form of cancer called Ewing sarcoma. And so for the next year, he went through cancer treatment and chemotherapy um, to save his life from that. 
and he's been cancer-free for six years now. Six years. Six years, so that's awesome, obviously. <laughs> um, and then about a year after he finished chemo, we decided that we were ready to have another kid, and then we found out that the chemotherapy that saved his life um, had caused infertility, and so that was another like really hard thing after a really hard thing, and so it took us some time to um, figure out what growing our family was going to look like, and we just started praying then and asking God to show us what he wanted us to do, and um, so for the next few years, we kind of explored different options and struggled through infertility, and in 2016, that summer, um, I think God planted the seed in both of our hearts that adoption might be the thing for us. And so we just continued to pray and um, seek God in those decisions. And then in 2018, in the spring, we decided that we were ready to step out in faith and adopt. And I think it took us so long to get to that point because Adoption can be a really scary thing, and it wasn't something that either of us, like, had really seen growing up or anything. Like, we knew quite a few families here at C3 that had fostered and adopted and um, close friends that had been walking through this decision with us, and um, we had been through a lot of really hard things, and I think you just get tired of doing hard things, and you don't want to do the hard things. You want your life to be easy, and you want it to go to your plan. And it was obvious to us that life doesn't go how you plan it. But we made the decision that we were ready to adopt, and so we started attending classes to get certified to foster to adopt, and we're just trusting God in that, that he would lead us and provide the way forward for us. And just a couple months after we made that decision, we got a call from a extended family member that there was a need for adoption in our own family. And so Gatlin and I both felt immediately that this is what God had been preparing for us and calling us to. And so even though it felt a little bit crazy to, to our own families and probably looked weird to people around us. Um, we just, we stepped out and we told this uh, family member that was in a really bad place in her life, like, hey, I know this is kind of weird, but <laughs> if you want us to adopt your baby, like, we would be glad to adopt your baby. And she told me then that she had hoped that we would do that, which was really crazy because I had never talked to her about adoption in our life. And so I think that was just another like clear picture from God that this was definitely the way forward. And so we got to walk with this birth mother through a really difficult time and um, share the love of Christ with her in a way that I think she had never seen before. And um, we're just able to show her love and know that she was cared for and that God loved her and that God was going to take care of her in this too. And um, let's see, look back in the notes here. <laughs> uh, 
And so, yeah, so not only that, but that we had, were able to provide a family for our daughter, Viola, who would otherwise, I mean, who, I, I have no idea what would have happened to her if we hadn't adopted her. Um, but we are not heroes in this story in any way. Um, it is a privilege to us that God entrusted us to be Viola's family and to raise her and love her and be able to show her the love of Christ as well and that just knowing that she will grow up in a family that loves Jesus and that she will be pointed to Jesus throughout her life. Um, And this is not the story that I ever would have written for us, but whenever you step out in faith and just trust God, he can write an even more beautiful story than you could have ever imagined. Thank you. That was awesome. I haven't actually heard her say all that, so I get to follow that up. So it's usually how that... All right, here we go. Um, yeah, we just we wanted to share the background of our story because I think... Um, I think it's really helpful to see um, the sovereignty of God working in maybe in just our story, which doesn't seem like a lot to us, but through trials and tribulations, how God has sovereignly like worked uh, adoption into our story. That wasn't ever anything like what Blake said we ever thought that we would really be a part of or, or do, and... Um, that took years, but as we, as we in faith um, started responding to that call, um, we we started to see God move in our lives and in our family. And um, we had a couple verses that I'm going to share with us real quick. Um, this is Second Corinthians four seventeen through eighteen, I believe. And uh, Seth shared this a couple weeks ago, but. Um, Wherever you're at, um, I just we want to encourage you to, um, with whatever season or trial that you're in, um, I have some thoughts. So I want to read this passage. Uh, Second Corinthians four seventeen through eighteen. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Am I? Can you guys hear me? I do audio stuff all the time, and I know that I'm not supposed to hold it down here. So sorry. Side note, Uh, is preparing for us the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient and temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for God, uh, for for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, So two things I would... I would encourage you, if you guys are in a trial, I would, if we pull up 2 Corinthians again, if you replace affliction with whatever, that's a, a great uh, um, example of faith in a sovereign God to say, for this light momentary cancer diagnosis, right? Um, infertility issue or money issue or marriage issue or temptation is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as you, um, maybe you're in a season like that, and I would just encourage you that I think trials um, 
are a great opportunity to kind of peel back the veil of, of security and safety in our lives and to really call out to God in faith and ask for him to move. Um, and then two, I would, I would say wait patiently as you do that. And um, as you're in the word, as you're, you're listening to what God has for your life, to, um, uh, to wait patiently, to trust um, in his sovereignty in your life. And uh, I think that's all I've got. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. I appreciate you sharing more about your story. Let me pray, and I will worship a little more. Be dismissed. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the way that you work in people's lives. Um, you put tests and trials in our lives, and you use it to mature us to make us more dependent on you and even to do something as sweet and precious as bring a little girl into a home. So make us a people that left to ourselves we really aren't, but through your spirit call us to live by faith in the things that we can't see. We confess if we could see them, we probably wouldn't do them. But we're a people of faith, a trust in the unseen. Thank you for this testimony. We thank you for time together where we can learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen.